0: Hello and welcome to the Lay Film Podcast, where four film grads come together each week to review gems of the cinematic industry. I'm your co-host, Richard Leigh, and here with me as usual, it's Kevin, Patrick, and Tyler. And today's episode, we are going to be re- reviewing a film that Kevin selected today. But b- before we get into it, uh, let's talk about what we've actually been watching or what we've been reading or, you know, uh, first things that come to mind. Um, I've
1: been doing a movie challenge lately where I've been watching one movie a month and reviewing them and the past, or within the past week, I, uh, saw Mati Diop's Atlantics, which is available on Netflix. So if you have a subscription and are wanting to watch, um, a movie that is very mystical as well as, uh, poetic... And ghostly. I highly recommend it. And also, uh, I saw Claire Denis' Beau Travail. And that one is incredible. Denis Levant's performance in it. Absolutely incredible. And the entire movie, it's very cyclical. And it's almost like watching a ballet performed in the guise of a military exercise regimen and the ending itself one of the greatest endings I can remember out of all the movies I've seen this past month
2: okay Hmm. uh what did she also do didn't she do high life yeah
1: she did high life and um another movie Mm -hmm. I've been wanting to watch that she made is 35 shots of rum and uh also white material um Yeah. I've been wanting to watch more stuff by her because I believe that she, uh, worked with Tarkovsky back in the, I want to say on the sacrifice, or it was like one of the last few films that he made Mm -hmm. in the eighties. And I think that she either served as like a PA or, um, or some other type of a role on one of his sets. And she claimed to have like learned a great deal from that experience. And Dude, that's like working with one of the great ones. That's insane. Yeah. That's like a
3: dream. We need to redo our uh, our Stalker episode. Mm-hmm. That one's for
1: us. <laughs> I do have a movie that I'm thinking about um, having us review on here huh? by Tarkovsky. Okay. And I think you know the one. I, know that. <laughs> I mean, it's between two different it ones. Uh, yeah.
3: What is it? Solaris?
1: Yeah, it's either Solaris or The Mirror.
0: Oh, okay. okay. Wow. Yeah, because Kevin, um, the first like one of our like earliest raw episodes, you I believe you selected Stalker, right, or was it? I Patrick? think that was our first one we ever did. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think so too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn, Kevin, it came that was a like, long way.
0: Yeah, that was that was a while ago. We
1: picked the most dense movie <laughs> to deconstruct and like yeah. try and talk about. <laughs> it set the set the course for things to come. Uh, That's what for us. <laughs> what, what have you guys been watching?
2: Oh, man. I've been... What the hell have I been watching? Or
1: reading or listening to anything like that?
2: I bought... I haven't even read it yet. I just read the back cover. I bought Separam? Cep- Separam? And then, like, a big number, Wings. And it's a manga that never got picked up, but it was uh, written by Mamoru Oshi.
1: Ooh.
2: And drawn by the director i want to say of paprika and blue perfect blue
3: wow
1: oh,
2: satoshi kong yeah oh, i had like a i was with
1: i was just on i was on the website how did that not get picked up it's uh, like two like two legendary figures in that entire industry
2: i think it was like an early collaboration between them maybe or i i don't know why it didn't get picked up but uh the synopsis, from what I've read at the back cover, I haven't sat down and started it yet, is uh, in the future, a pandemic rages across the world that turns people into salt-like statues of angels.
1: Whoa. So
2: there's a lot of Memoroshi. Like, there's lot of, I just gave the first chapter, I think, a brief skim. And like yeah, there's feathers, there's angel aesthetics, and salt. There's, like, the trademarks of them. And it follows, I think, a young girl and a group of magis. A young girl and three magis as, like, they're being shipped around this dystopian world. And, like, medicine has become a new religion because of the pandemic and all this other stuff. It's really interesting.
3: Damn.
2: But uh I think it doesn't have a conclusion. It's probably just, like, a pilot manga. It's not that long. But uh I saw it, and it was, like, $15. I was like, I have to get this. Two big names. And uh yeah, it's been essentially me. I just been playing games. <laughs> nice. What uh what games have you been playing? Oh shit. It's a bit of like a little kid game. But me and Donald have been playing ARK.
3: Oh, Ark is sick.
2: We got it on sale from like the Black Friday sale, and uh yeah, it's just that's not a kid game. Uh I play Pokemon. So
1: <laughs> yeah, dude, Pokemon's the shit
2: it's not a kid game but it's like a kid wish game it's like a kid fantasy game of like you're on a dinosaur island and you have to like build the base it's like yeah this is just, it's like, I'm just it's loving like it. prehistoric times right it's like a sci-fi element like, but yeah yeah um we got wood shack we got a little patio <laughs> we got a little we don't have guns or anything yet but yeah we got a bow and arrow it's awesome we saw t-rexes t-rexes big sharks in the water and they like I can't go in the water now at all the rest <laughs> of the game. I'm never going in the water. And yeah, right. Did you have a bad experience? Uh, I have an irrational life? fear of stuff like that for some reason.
1: <laughs> so you'd, you'd never be able to play Subnautica then? No,
2: no, I'd never. I, I can't even watch people play it. It's too much. Are any of you guys
3: going to play uh, Cyberpunk?
1: I'm going to wait until the
3: bugs get fixed. That's what I heard. It's real <laughs> buggy. I was thinking about buying it today, though. I'm like, honestly, like the why weekend not? off.
1: Yeah, dude, like take it in.
3: I bought it yesterday. And my, oh, did you? My PS4 disc tray gave out when I was putting in the play disc. <gasps> Dude, I heard of a lot of Playstations are like PS4s are bugging now because of uh, the new release.
1: Really? Like because of a system update or because of just? I think
3: it's just because you know, like you know, like when Apple comes out with a new iPhone and mm-hmm. then you're like old, like you have the version before the new one and your shit starts bugging. They're like, yeah, why don't you go buy that new model?
1: Yeah, it's like a like a form of planned obsolescence. <laughs> okay.
2: Mine's mine's like five years old. Like I got I was on the PS four train pretty early, so it was like, Oh, it's it's finally it's been like chugging along barely and now it's finally like peacefully died in sleep and like, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> you served me well, friend.
1: It's
0: like wheezing.
1: <laughs>
2: my fan yeah, my fan I'd be playing with my brother
0: a game and like, yeah, we can hear your fan. You're constantly like, <laughs> louder than you are. Well, based on how you were describing it to me earlier, Patrick, it seemed like it wasn't dying peacefully. It was like kind of regurgitating a little bit. And I had just... a yeah. I, I kind of scratched the sticker side of the disc,
2: getting the disc out. I was like, hey, you're not eating this. You're my friend, but you're not eating this game I just bought that
0: I'm it's gonna like... play later. So you're pulling the tube out of the uh, esophagus. Like... <laughs> yeah, but but to help him to help it go peacefully.
2: <laughs> you
0: getting yourself violence. a Priscilla. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Priscilla Santiago the fifth. <laughs>
2: No, I need like a better life and status, and I need to become like a more influential person <laughs> before I can afford something like a PS5.
0: Well, I heard the PS5 is actually really hard to get. Still, yeah. Um, I had some friends ask actually how to pay. They both are a lot of money, like maybe anywhere from like eighteen or uh, eight hundred to like over a thousand dollars.
3: Yeah,
1: I would never <laughs> especially for like the card. first
3: the first release. Yeah, every- those, those things are always there's always like some problems
1: like let shall we shall we name a few xbox 360 the red ring red, of death home yeah, oh, yeah like yeah. even just bringing up that brings up so much past like haunted memories mm-hmm. of mine
3: i literally took apart my whole xbox to try and like fix <laughs> oh, like the man. gpu
0: unit
1: or, or the <laughs> yellow more. light of wait was it the blue sc- or i don't know the yellow light on the ps3s like if oh, you yes. got that or something like that oh man
0: I'm and, lucky that well, I didn't get the PS3 at the time. So, <laughs> well, what was that all about? Is that like the Red, red Ring of Death, like the Xbox 360?
1: I, I think I think it might have been something along the lines of it, but it wasn't nearly as prevalent as the Red Ring of Death. And <laughs> I found it so crazy that uh, Microsoft itself like didn't even really do that great of a job <laughs> addressing it. They're just kind of like eh, it happens. I mean, you could send it in, but uh, yeah, but. I mean, even with, like, uh, the PS4s and stuff, like, with the massive fan issue, and <laughs> it's, like, first-gen series, or, yeah, first um, introductions of, like, new consoles. They never, like, I, I always just wait for the Slim version to come out mm. before I get it. I don't know if
3: I can wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> X- I'm getting Xbox. I'm not the PlayStation guy.
1: Honestly, I heard that the... uh that the wait, what's the Xbox Pass that they have where you get like game every or you get access to their most of their library I think it's and called of, Game Pass. Yeah, Game Pass. I heard that that is incredibly worth it. Yeah,
3: it's like ten bucks a month. It's like Netflix for games or something. Genius idea.
0: Yeah, PlayStation Plus has like a bunch of free games right now that you can download. I just like put them all in my library recently.
2: Yeah.
3: <clears throat> what but, about uh,
0: Oh wait, what were you say? I was gonna say uh, I haven't really
3: been on any new t- new shows since our last episode. Like I finished up Mister Robot, which was great. Um, if you want to watch, like, like that show is so good at like teaching you about like the upper elite, like top one percent of the one percent. I mean, not like it's just like cool how he, he kind of like takes them down and.
1: I, I wholeheartedly agree, Tyler, because... Um, There's, like,
3: so many just good, like, monologues of voiceover of Elliot just, like, going crazy in his head, like, talking shit about him. I'm like, holy fuck, this is, like, the world we live in. But they are... Yeah. But do you think it's...
2: What is it? Baudrillard. Do you think the show itself is a simulation of holding those people accountable, produced by those people? I know, yeah, that could be. to <laughs> so make you get that catharsis of, like, yeah... You put him in the place, Mister Robot, but then, And
1: like, then the desire is quelled.
2: Yeah, like, okay, I'm time to go back to my life.
3: Yeah, think about that for sure. I'm like, kind of wish I lived in like that realm sometimes. <laughs> like after, after he fixes everything, um, but other than that, I've been on my Disney Mandalorian.
0: Is that I'm thinking still, about watching it? Is the season Dude, two still together. going on? I, yeah,
3: yeah, oh, okay. yeah. It's really good, and I—I I don't know if you guys saw, but like, Disney announced like so many mm-hmm. fucking movies and shows yesterday. It was like, it was. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, they really are like trying to fucking take over. Didn't they? But they are finally... doing a uh, Obi Wan and Darth Vader, like Hayden Christensen that show. Coming back. So I'm pretty hyped for that. Okay, definitely. And and Ahsoka is getting her own TV show as well. Which I'm hyped about.
2: Didn't she have her own show?
3: Are um, you talking about like the animated series? Yeah, or? she yeah she was in. Uh, she's a protagonist. Clone Wars. Right? Yeah, yeah, she was like one of the main characters, but oh, okay. she's getting her own live action. Uh,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. i swallowed
1: my own spit yeah.
0: <laughs> <Were> <laughs> You even couldn't stay in the disney bowl <laughs> yeah. were you were you salivating over all the new disney yeah, yeah it's like it's
1: like doing subliminal messaging <laughs> yeah. through the through the 5g waves
2: like live action ahsoka series <laughs> um
0: uh, uh, didn't they finally confirm that uh for spider-man 3 that all the actors are coming back now like doc ock and um Andrew Garfield, Emma... Oh, Isn't Toby Emma's Maguire style. coming back, too? Uh, He's still in negotiations, I, saw, I believe. I
3: saw something about that, yeah. yeah. How's that going to be? Like an Into the Spider-Verse, like live action? Yeah. Dude, they're
1: so going to rip it off. <laughs> they totally are. <laughs> like,
0: I don't know why they didn't do this, like, I think that's, sooner. I don't know if that'll be... I don't know about that. If has Toby It'll yeah, Tobey Maguire is the best. <laughs> he's, Bi-
1: he's the best. Spider- you know, Man. you know, he's writing out that negotiation oh, deal. Of he's, like, he's just the like best. waiting. <laughs> he's the one. Yeah, I, I still
0: one. think he's the best Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah.
1: I got to rewatch those.
0: Andrew Garfield's like the Playboy <laughs> Spider-Man. Like. The too good looking to be spider-man and then tom holland's kind of like no way tom holland's the too good looking man, one no way. tom holland's got
3: like a six-pack how it? fucking not t- 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 even watching too much disney plus <laughs> 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 toby Maguire is superior in every way <laughs> no i like to I, I think i like andrew garfield the most but yeah, it I, seems like everyone that's like everyone's least favorite spider-man yeah so. it's my least favorite yeah, Toby Maguire is because I was a kid when yeah. Spider Man's came out. That's the only reason.
0: I mean, I if, you, if you go like back and that. watch those films, like Toby Maguire still fits like the very geeky, like nerdy type. Like you can tell, like if you watch his films, like you can relate to him, and he's he represents that like that loner guy yeah. who like can't get the girl, and Andrew Garfield is the guy that can get anybody. <laughs> to me, <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, he's. I guess he was decent as Spider Man, but he wasn't. I think I liked him because he good. was a skater. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> skater Spider Man. That's true.
1: Giving you a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 vibes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doing the stunts. With <laughs> the web slinging against the skateboard. <laughs> How about you, Richie? What have, uh, what have you been watching, reading, or listening to, or whatever?
0: Um, I haven't really been watching too many things honestly. I did recently finish an anime called Welcome to the NHK, which is about um a Hikikomori, uh, a person that like Oh, shut in. Yeah, a mm-hmm. shut in. Uh it's a pretty good comedy. I just finished it recently. Um Man, what have I been watching? Like I don't know. Since this whole pandemic, I haven't really been watching too many things. I've only been watching the movies that, like, we've been recommending here. Um, but, man, I actually just did, like, a fantasy basketball. league. Like, I did a draft with uh, with people from all around the world. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, it's, like, me and, like, 11 other people. There's a guy from, like, Australia. There's a person from the Philippines and stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm really big on NBA fantasy and I don't know uh, how you do that. Uh, well, to, it's like, set your lineup like every day. Yeah. the oh, good thing. The one that I'm doing is weekly. So, uh, you don't have to do it every day. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm big on fantasy cause I play every year and I've been playing every year since 2009. Nice. So going on 11 years strong and, um, yeah, the past five years or so I've been pretty much on the top spot. Even against strangers that I don't know, um, it's been really fun That's doing like that. Me in
3: uh, fantasy football, I'm in fantasy football playoffs this week. I got some some money on the line. Oh yeah, <laughs> How, what's I'm the buy? Too many leagues. I'm in five leagues.
0: Nice. <laughs> oh I God. do the same thing. I, I play I like, in like f- five weeks.
3: Like each league is probably like a hundred bucks. So like if nice. I win at least one of them, I should probably win like eight
0: hundred to a thousand bucks. Oh, nice. Keep that. Uh, Off the taxes, right? (laughs) Oh, absolutely.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uncle Sam got enough money.
0: (laughs) Where's my stimmy check? Um, Dying here. I think another thing I actually did watch recently was uh, Brene Brown's Vulnerability. I forgot what it's called. But if you just look that up on Netflix, she talks about um, how there's no courage without vulnerability and vice versa. And um, how she's been examining shame. Like, she's been researching, like, uh, the idea of shame and vulnerability for, like, the past 20 years. Uh, it's really interesting. I, uh, she did a whole tech talk on it on Netflix. And the reason why I stumbled across that was because um, I did watch this video on YouTube where uh, this teacher reviewed, uh, this Netflix series original called the OA she reviewed the first season. And then she compared that to Brene Brown's vulnerability talk that she did and how, um, you know, like in any kind of relationship or friendships or like when you want to like feel closer to people, uh, a way to like strengthen your bond with people is to be brave and to be vulnerable and you can't have one without the other. You know, um, yeah, I thought that was very powerful and I, I almost kind of <laughs> made me tear up a bit because I'm like, man, I, I love that concept and I love the show in itself. And it didn't I didn't occur to me that um, that was a part of what the show was about. And, um, yeah, Brene Brown's vulnerability. And also, you should watch the And I actually watched uh, a few episodes of it again. And, um, yeah, it still holds up.
1: I'm going to add that to my watch list.
0: Yes, yes, everyone should watch that show. (laughs) But yeah, with that being said, uh, let's segue into our review of It's Such a Beautiful Day.
4: On the way to the bus stop, Bill saw somebody he recognized walking towards him, but he couldn't remember his name. He began to think of things to say when they'd be close enough to acknowledge each other. As they drew nearer, their eyes locked, uncertain if the other was going to stop to talk. The person greeted Bill, as Bill mixed up the phrases, What's up? with, How's it going? Confused, the person blurted out, Thanks, before he knew what he was saying. Words caught in Bill's throat, and he replied, Way. They did a sort of awkward half-turn, and then continued on, now confident that the other was not going to stop to talk. They never saw each other again, and a day later had each forgotten the whole thing. Later that night, Bill sat down and put on a big sweater, but it only made him sleepy. In the supermarket, Bill was always very careful to select fruit from only the back of the produce piles, as the fruit in the front was at crotch level to the other customers.
1: This movie is pretty much a compilation of three different short films that were written, directed, animated, and narrated by Don Hertzfeldt, and... The three pieces that make it up is uh, the first one being Everything Will Be Okay, the second being I'm So Proud of You, and then the third one being It's Such a Beautiful Day. And back in 2012, they were all compiled into one feature length movie, and it's just been history from there. Um, the reason why I picked this movie is because it came to me at a very important time in my life where I was still trying to decide um, if I can actually become a filmmaker or not, because ever since high school, I had a very, I mean, I, I kind of stumbled into uh video production. I decided to take it as an elective in my freshman year, because I thought that it would be a very easy class because I didn't know anyone as well. As, and, um, I don't know. I just wanted to take a class that I could just zone out in. And then the moment I found out that, For our first project, we had to not only record our own voices, but we had to film ourselves. I went to my school counselor, and I begged them to transfer me out of that class. (laughs) (laughs) And um, my video production teacher told me to stick with it. And ever since then, I've mainly, I mean, for the majority of the time that I've been making videos, I've done them. Either with a small group of friends or I have done them entirely on my own. And after I graduated, uh, or after I finished up with community college, I was supposed to go to another school in Los Angeles, but I ended up not taking it on because for one reason or another it didn't feel right at the time. And I ended up moving back home, was kind of aimless for a few years. And then I found myself confronted like day in, day and day in and day out where I would have this urge to make stories because at the time I was writing a lot, but I had no one to film the projects with. And that was a very defeating feeling to me. And uh, after that, I started scouring different lists of like what movies to watch and I came across um, Don Hertzfeldt's series on YouTube, which is called Rejected, which is a series of very short clips of uh, quote-unquote rejected commercials, and they're all hand-drawn animation like stick figures and very morbid, but also filled with a lot of dark humor, and it uh, led me to find this movie, which is It's Such a Beautiful Day. And I found it on Netflix. And after watching it, it touched a nerve within me to where it made me want to continue on. Because it showed me that you can continue to make things regardless whether or not they're... I mean, as long as you have the will to make something, you can make it. It doesn't always have to involve other people. And it's a very hard thing to do with filmmaking because... If you want to ever expand beyond yourself, you have to either develop 20 different arms or you need to uh, go out and meet people and have equal trust in one another. And yeah, this movie got me to uh, find that inspiration and that will to keep going and eventually enroll in film school up here in Sacramento. And this is where I met all of you. And... I, I this movie holds a very special place in my heart, and uh, also I'll just describe a little bit about what it's about. It's about uh, a forty-year-old named Bill, who is basically trying or who is faced with a life-threatening illness, and in the span of the sixty minutes that this movie encompasses, it. Is basically like a mosaic or a kaleidoscope of his entire life, uh, composed of uh, true and false memories. And each segment, I mean, it, it sometimes recur in like a. It sometimes occurs at a, like a rapid rate, where it's like a flash of memories, all like five to like ten seconds long, or even longer, and filled with like mundane, humorous, and all of these deep and touching moments, uh, that make up this, this person's life. And he, um, I mean, as, as we talk more about it, I'll like go into like some other notes that I have, but yeah,
0: that's, yeah. That was a very good breakdown of what the film's about. Um,
3: it's been like probably a week since I watched it, but, I feel like, yeah, I just watched a few clips this morning just to refresh, and I feel like I got hit with, like, the same feeling when I watched it. It, I don't know, it's weird watching this movie. I feel like a lot of people feel like this, like, you don't know how to feel when you watch it. Um, It's, like, hard to explain. It feels like, there's, like, just watching it, like, I feel like you watch, like, being born, dying, um, just, like... You go on like a whole different, like into a whole new dimension, if that makes sense. With like the visuals and stuff.
1: That's a really good way of putting it. Actually, <laughs> it's it's like you gonna, well,
3: a, I swear, I was sober when I watched it. It's like a cold water,
2: like being thrown on you about your life. Yeah, this is what I got. Like, oh man, like, oh, I'm gonna.
3: Yeah, it can <laughs> it can definitely spark an existential crisis, but in a good way. Hmm. I love the. Uh, it it got me upset at certain parts with the.
2: Uh, how creative the visuals were. Really irritated me that this guy is so talented, and gifted. I think it's the. <laughs> the, the cloud the cloud bit with the and the like the fragmented. Yeah, yeah. Anytime it stops being a drawing, it's like fragmented visuals, and like the way it uses the screen space where it's never. Like, a lot of the film, it's not a whole wide or the whole screen isn't filled up or illuminated. So the brief moments, like, where the cloud is, like, like a broken mirror, but it's different things. It has a beautiful aesthetic. And I'm was like, God damn it.
0: This is so good. Yeah, because, like, you mentioned, Patrick, um, the mise-en-scene is, like, covered in darkness. So whatever we do see is utilized in a spotlight. So we are very limited in what we're seeing and, um, and we also don't, mm, we don't really get to know Bill that well, I guess, in terms of his point of view, we see it from a third person perspective. So we have a narration, uh, who's voiced by Don Hertzfeld himself. The cast is very limited to, I think about three people um, down to the editor, Brian Hamlin, and then just the other voice actor, Sarah Cushman. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: It's a small... Yeah, no, like Kevin said, it's a small... It's like a small personal project. So when the creativity and all that flourish and that, it's like, oh, man, this guy's truly an artist. And he... Yeah. And she gives you a little... Yeah. So it's refreshing to see that.
0: Yeah, especially since the animation is... 2d but then you also get some sequences where you're just wondering like how did they film this and then utilize the 2d animation with like mm-hmm. some real footage that they put in there which is really unique i think
1: I, I read in an interview that um for each short it took him a year and a or year to a year and a half to create these 30 these 30 minute segments and all of the uh Visuals that we see were captured on, I want to say, a 35mm camera that he has or um, like a handy cam. And for instance, all the visual effects were done in camera, like the various lights, um, uh, images of rain, all of these different unique glimpses into the waking world that Bill is so distanced from. They had
2: the... Uh... It's a bit towards the end of the film, but like Richie said, when the people are replaced, they alternate, things alternate from the perspective of being like a real person, then it, not it de-evolves, but it becomes like a stake fear like we've been seeing like a random person with a circular head and a certain body, mm-hmm. and there's a great one of a guy like answering a phone, and then putting it down, and then answering the phone, and then putting it down. Was that, do you think that was added after like the initial animations were created? Because that one seems like a more of a feat of, like, digitally removing... Because the phone moves itself, unless the whole thing is animated. So like, it looks like someone's removed from picking up the phone and someone's drawn on top
1: of it. I think that those... Well, I mean, with the three shorts, obviously there is, like, a huge step up in quality as we progress from one to the next to the final one. And that moment that you're talking about occurs in the final... Uh, in the third chapter of the movie. And I think that by that time, I want to say like four or like probably five years happened between the first and the last one. And I read that he was, that Hertzfeld was upset with himself for having um, not decided to make it all one piece mm-hmm. because he did have to go back, like you said, and actually capture all of these or many different um, moments for instance, I read that um, the first scene that we open up to is a shot of the skies with uh, some very dark trees. And he said that that was something that he had to shoot in his backyard, like towards the very end of the actual production itself. So I, I'm not ruling it out that he decided to go back and film that thing potentially as you were talking about. Was that in camera? I thought, that
2: was like, I thought there had to have been some post on that.
1: Oh, there was definitely. Um, I'm sure that uh, he did a lot of color correcting in the final process because when he initially uh, posted all of these, or the first few short films, towards the end of it, when he was compiling it, he had to go back and uh, re-record sound, do a lot more post-production on it, such as color correction, as well as um, a few other things inside the editing program as well.
2: Yeah, because I, I think there's, like, a star with, like, how the lighting is so bad. Like, the sky has stars in it, and the clouds are rolling in, and the trees are, like, silhouettes, and it's, it's a beautiful opening shot. I remember that floored me so much. It was like, no way, he got this on camera. He totally touched it up. But no, if he did, that's even more impressive.
0: Yeah, I think, like you mentioned earlier, Patrick, about, um, or both of you guys, but uh, how near the end of the film the quality is um, geared up. I think that it complements the film in itself because it kind of goes through like these phases, like evolutionary phases almost. Um, and I think that works for it. And hearing that he had to go back and sh- re uh, sh- like reshoot some things, uh, and that he was upset with himself. I think I don't think he realizes like actually how well, that complemented his work when he had to do that again. Um, yeah, it gives
2: it, like, a rising feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it does have really beautiful sequences, like, when Bill is riding the bus home, and we get, like, this medium shot of him, like, the blue medium shot of him, and then he's just, like, watching the rain outside, and, like, yeah, and you hear the music playing, and it's, it's so powerful, and you just... That's all you hear is the music and the sound of the rain hitting the windows. And you get that for, like, about a minute.
2: And this is a film where, like, sound design is, like, 90% of the film experience, Mm -hmm. it feels like. Mm -hmm. Because, like, without it, it'd be a completely different feeling.
3: Yeah, that score with, like, the orchestra, violins is just so beautiful. Like, like that's, like, I feel like a, a perfect musical sound for just, like, life. Like, life and death, which I think is essentially some of the main themes of this movie,
1: definitely. You you bring up a really good point with that, uh, Tyler, because in an interview with BFI in 2016, uh, Hertzfeldt was asked by the interviewer what inspired Bill's story, and he went on to say that it was inspired by a World War II story where... Nazis invaded a town, and the protagonist in the story was found themselves in a large group. And in this group, they were being marched through the city to a bridge where they were going to be shot. And the protagonist suddenly notices new details in the cobblestone streets and in the town that, he's, or in the town that they've lived in throughout their entire life. But, they've, but they happen to never see before that moment. And during this march, new things and faces that they had known for years. Um, the air, suddenly the air smells different and new details arise and the currents in the river look strange and new. And Hertzfeld later went on to say that he's seeing the world around him for the first time through the new lenses and it's disorienting and beautiful. It takes a horrible event to sometimes grab you by the shoulders and shake you to wake you up. And the story is about someone facing death who hasn't yet lived and you can find enrichment in life through the ever encroaching nature of death and it explores that ambivalent nature of it all which i found to be the most profound thing about it
3: yeah that was one of the main moments that stuck with me it was when there's like a sequence where he like it just goes through like anything you see like raindrops trees water and it's like little things that you always take for granted but then like what you're like what they just said faced with looming death you start to you know cherish the smallest things like like this plastic <laughs> fold up table <laughs> like,
1: like feeling the texture mm-hmm. on it
3: or like when he says he's like his bath rug never looked so beautiful <laughs> <laughs> i think the
2: i think stylistically the uh, simplistic animation visuals and when we do see like the rain gathering on the window and the striking real images he's captured with this camera makes those jump out mm-hmm. and like something non-recreatable like that
3: or there was another i forget the context but he was talking about i think he it, maybe it was when he just like recovered from being sick in the hospital bed and his uh his like ex-girlfriend comes by and then there's it cuts to like uh like a shot of like an actual like human, and I think that's the only.
1: Oh yeah, like the back of her head.
3: Mm-hmm. And like her hair or whatever, and are in bed. Yeah, was, and that one just like hit me good too. I was like, damn, that was like, God, that was such a cool cut and sequence. Little mm-hmm.
2: little logette moment. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay.
3: <laughs> I'm like, oh, I want to cuddle now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um should we give our ratings so that we can kind of uh, so we that. can kind of like talk more about specifics. I feel like there's a, a lot of like segments that come and go that we can get like more in detailed with.
1: Yeah, this is this is one of those movies where because of the nature of um how time is uh jumped moment to moment, that it would only benefit if we could go into spoilers. <laughs> as soon as possible <laughs> yeah
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I can open sure uh, I give the film a 4 out of 5 I love the style I love the uh, music I love the sound design I love the animations uh, and then a the big thing like a final selling point I think for anyone who wants or is curious to check it out I think this came to me when I was watching it, but like the, the narrator's delivery. It's like, what is it? Slam poetry. It's like slam poetry, but good. Whereas the visuals and it's not just Mm -hmm. someone saying some, like, like, uh, I think one of the opening scenes when he's, sitting at a bus stop watching a paper bag on a pole and sucking on the sore in his mouth sucking blood out of the sore on his mouth but then it cuts to like a beautiful like an opera bravado going and it's just him sitting on a bus and like the thing closed up waving in the wind and a bird flying overhead like the video yeah it comes together so well where it's like oh i yeah it's like this i don't know somebody about it just reminded me of like slam poetry and like the Seems like there's non sequiturs and things aren't directly connected, but you can see the connections, especially visually and audially. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful film with a lot of artistic merit.
3: Um, I would, uh, I would agree. I give it a four point two five. Actually, I'd go four point two five. Um, just the way it makes you, it made me feel after. Um, I still can't describe it. It's like melancholy, but it also like makes you want to like. Cherish the small things in life and even, like, your bullcrap routine that you're living in. Um, But, yeah, like you said, Pat, too, the sound design, the uh, score is amazing. And the voiceover is great. There's so many cool quotes that uh, will stick with you. I think if you're used to, like, a Disney Pixar animation, this might be tough for you to watch. But it's worth it if you just... It's only an hour long, so... just a a tiny part of your day
0: Uh, for me originally after i saw it for the first time because like you tyler i had to refresh myself like I, i watched some of the segments over again to um recall like some some of the sequences, because it was hard for me to, like, remember, like, very specific moments that happened, you know, because a, a lot of the film is fragmented, and it's to showcase um, Bill's shattered psyche, and I think that was really well done. Um, it When I first watched it all the way through, like, it was kind of hard to watch, um, just because... Of all the dark moments and it felt very morbid but also it had some dark humor to it that i really liked like the um the motif of the train how they utilize that uh, a few times i'm like dang that really sucked when they brought that up but then it felt oddly humorous (laughs) to me um or even like the mundane reactions that bill has with random people in the street that are kind of um like almost like throwaway scenes but then upon like refreshing myself i'm like oh yeah i kind of remember that when bill sees the cashier and um
2: she she goes how how's your day
0: yeah and he says i'm fine thank you how about you and then the cashier didn't answer and then the narrator says bill felt used and i'm like I really (laughs) felt that like, (laughs) like there are some sequences where the narrator describes it perfectly where I can relate to Bill. Because the first time I saw this film, I felt so disconnected from Bill. Like I didn't feel like I relate to him, but I relate to some of like the experiences of like his mundane interactions. So, yeah, Uh, and I felt like refreshing myself really enhanced my experience with it. And like what everyone's been saying, I think it came off very cathartic. Like I was able to like purge some of those in negative emotions. And even though the title is, is such a beautiful day, it, I think it complements the film because in those in-between moments, those little nuances, there are like some incredibly beautiful sequences uh, uh, within um, the dark moments of the film. So I'll give it a four out of five.
1: Um, like how was mentioned before earlier in this movie, this movie came to me at a very important time in my life. And, um, as it's been said before, um, this movie is very hard to talk about in a linear fashion because it's just jumping so much all over the place all the time. And, This movie actually reminds me a lot about one of my favorite books, which is Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. And it's about a person named Billy Billy Pilgrim. And it's also assembled in the same manner, where it jumps throughout various points in Billy's life. And I believe that these two works help me to understand the nature of time in a way that makes sense to me. Because chronologically for me, it's very difficult to um, combine past happenings with unknowable future events along with the present moment that you're in. But um, as we'll talk about in a bit, like there's a moment in the movie that really put things into perspective for me where time is basically just a bubble. It's, it's already happened. All the moments that we've had happened to us that will happen to us that we're experiencing right now all coexist with one another. And that leads me to have a lot less uh, existential burden on myself to where it's like, Hey, every moment matters and you can live your life the way you want it to, regardless of how you may have acted five minutes ago and how you're about to act. Um, Another book that helped me uh, with this concept was Man's Search for Meaning, which is uh, by Viktor Frankl, who was a a doctor as well, who went on to be um, a psychologist um, back in World War II, where he was uh, trying to find out what was causing uh, all of these internment prisoners to expire in their final days, and it was because they didn't have the will to live anymore. When they no longer had meaning in their lives, they expired within days. And this movie helps me find meaning in very small and minute details throughout my day. For instance, like how Tyler mentioned, like touching the texture of something or or even just the smell of like the candle that's in the room right now or having a cup of coffee. Um, all of these different things that remind me of what life was like when I was a child and how I would be so enamored with all of the, the sensory overload that happens when the world is so new and fresh to you. And I believe that as we get older, we lose sight of this from time to time and need to be reminded of it. And this movie, I believe at upon first viewing, it's not a very, it's a very grim movie and it's not very uplifting purely because of the black-and-white nature of it, as well as the lack of detail. And as Bill inches towards death, suddenly details start popping out to him, and he's reminded of what life was like when he was a kid, and how he could have been living his life had he held on to this detail all along. And I'm going to give this movie a 5 out of 5, and I consider it to be one of my favorite movies of all time.
0: So there goes our ratings for the film. Um, Seems like consensus that we all liked it. Um, It's a very different experience. It's very um, experimental and experiential. Like, you have to watch the movie as an experience. And it's less about being entertained, and it's more about just putting yourself into that perspective. So I thought that was a really great pick, Kevin, that I've I've actually never seen an animated film like this before. Incredibly ambitious project by Don Hertzfeld. So let's uh, dive more into spoilers. Bill picked up his new medication,
4: went home and masturbated for seven hours. He woke up the following morning and thought his room seemed different his mouth was bleeding four of his teeth had fallen out in the night they looked sort of like dog teeth everyone in the supermarket looked like some sort of demon and they all had gigantic bacteria ridden crotches buried in all the goddamn produce it felt like his whole body was sparkling. His shoes felt as though they were filling with blood, and his hands smelled like copper.
0: Man, where where do you guys want to start? I don't think it matters. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I think if we started a uh, Well, as I, as I was, uh, watching this movie again today, like in in the morning, I, um, decided to write down a lot of the details from it because it's helping me to kind of form the overall puzzle of, of what this movie is about. And I picked up on a lot of things that I didn't find or discover during like my first three watches of it. And, um... I found out that the vin- that the vignettes represent tunnel vision that Bill has had throughout his entire life. So, for instance, how it was mentioned earlier by Pat, where he's sitting on the bench watching this bag uh, fly in the wind on this, like, flagpole, and then you see a bird, like a vignette of a bird coming through. It's just, like, small little details that Bill picks up, but never the big picture, and this sort of uh, tunnel vision has encroached upon his life to where he just constantly fears dying that he ends up never living. And, um, the, like it first starts out with all of these different mundane tasks of, um, Bill coming home and setting his keys down upon the, uh, counter and, uh, vacuuming, going to the bathroom, eating food, watching TV, all of these little things. And the narrator comments that Bill had suddenly started to compile all of these moments that he had done this. And it helps to create a motif of mundanity through menial tasks and the compilation of them that takes away from our overall life in a way. It's like, this is how you live by doing these set ritualistic things day in and day out is this all your life is and it gets you to like shake you that's what this movie is about it's trying to shake you out of your your slumber in a way and uh there's a moment where bill has a dream of a monstrous fish growing out of his head and I found this, I remember when I first saw this, I just thought that it was a very quirky moment, but it led me to realize, oh no, these are the first, this is Bill's subconscious trying to tell him there is a tumor in your head, or there is something deeply wrong with you that is forming, and this is the beginning of the end for you.
0: Yeah, I like that you brought that up about the fish that was growing out of his head, because... It reminded me of um, this idea that, like, he's probably having, like, nightmares or even night terrors because it is, like, foreshadowing, like, him approaching death and also, like, uh, his mental state and how it's deteriorating. And there are, like, very subtle moments that are almost like throwaways, but they're not, but where there's a scene where he comes home and he sees a wet spot in his bed. And then later on, maybe, like, a few scenes later, uh, and it's also almost like a throwaway, but he was, uh, like, he peed on himself a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, so I'm wondering, like, is he having, it's probably because he's having night terrors. And I don't know about you guys, but, and I'm going to tell everyone here, but um, I I lived through, like, some very dark moments in my life, like, several years ago where I was having, like, night terrors, and, like, really bad dreams that were happening to me, like, for several nights in a row. And, you know, I haven't really, like, told anyone this, but, like, I had moments where I woke up and I felt like Bill, where I wet the bed, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, I, I've i never done this before. Like, the last time I felt that way was when I was a kid, and I'm an adult, and, I'm, and I was going through this phase where, like, oh, man, I was, like, extremely depressed and had... You know, like, I didn't have any upside in life at the time. Or, like, I felt like nothing was going the way I wanted it to. And um, luckily I don't really have those moments anymore. Like, that happened, you know, maybe, like, seven years ago or so. But, man, I really felt that. Uh, Refreshing myself with the movie again, I, I, I picked that up. And, you know, Kevin, you're describing how, like, yeah, like, it was probably, like, a tumor that was uh that he may be developing on his body and i also see that as like his mental state and also him yeah like not being able to pick up on those things because when you have bad dreams or bad nightmares you don't forget about them yeah and it comes out like physically and man that was rough
2: I love the, uh, like you said, how the the vignette effect or the spotlight effect is the, uh, it's like his tunnel vision, but I love when they, like early on especially, they do it, but they, when they use that to like highlight the neuro, the neuro neurological stuff he's going through, like his uh, focus is being distracted. Like you said, the dream is like a sign of the. The fish that's growing out of his head is like a subconscious awareness of the tumor. And then, like, there's the great bit where he's like watching the boxing fight. Or, like, he just says, like, Oh, I just happened to be watching boxing for some reason. And then he starts remembering other stuff. And it's like they were replaying the boxing. The boxer's head accidentally gets cut open. And one of them slips and headbutts the other. And like yeah, the visually they just keep in the top left corner. They're replaying that scene over and over oh, in yeah. slow mo. The sound design. And the one. sound mm-hmm. is so heavy. It's like a slowed down screaming, and like like blood shoots out, and all that other stuff. And then like other important stuff is happening in the rest mm-hmm. of the frame. I think is it the doctor talking to him.
1: Or I, I think he calls his girlfriend and talks about um, a manatee calendar. Or oh, no, uh, the, no, the giant uh, a movie where a manatee was like terrorizing a town or something like that
2: and that's another one too where he's like oh it was a, it was a manatee terrorizing the town and she's like no it's a different movie mm. like where'd you get manatee i forgot what movie it was but it's like, yeah it's great mantis it's oh like, yeah. yeah no it's not manatee it's it just like two completely different things but it seems like it's like there's like little cues that is like something neurologically is happening with him where it's like his, his mind is substituting st- some stuff for other stuff like yeah mantis manatee similar enough like the yeah, the visceral obs- the vis- visceral obsession with like the the guy's head getting opened up in the boxing match and all the other stuff, mm-hmm. which plays out later on through the film where we get more this complexity added to it to uh, everything before.
0: Yeah, you get some of these like reoccurring images of like Bill wanting his head to like pop out of his body into space, mm-hmm. or, like he didn't want to be cremated, and then there's like. That's, that scene. <laughs> yeah, that scene of, like, I think it was almost like a nightmare where his mother, like, pulled out a cat's head out of the fridge or something like that. Yeah, like, something about, like, the head coming out of your body. It's almost like um, an out-of-body experience or something like that that he's having.
2: I, I really related to the uh, lady, the like, little cues that help you relate to the character. The shooting the head off in the space thing... I had that exact not the head but I was like oh when I die I want to be shot in the space because I want aliens to find me and then reanimate me and I'll be alive again I'll be awesome <laughs> So not far after I got like old giddy like oh I love this yeah. I could just do the head they can give me a body
3: <laughs> Cyborg Pat <laughs> Um a moment I really liked is the uh I'm so proud of you moment or whatever, that one, that one like hit hard. (laughs) His mom, like, didn't she have, um, did she have dementia or she, did she have something wrong with her?
1: I think so. Yeah.
3: Like the doctor told her like, you should never have kids or whatever. And then, um, she, she, I forget if she, when you, we find out that she had been practicing writing, I am so proud of you like over and over and over again. Was that before or after he got the note?
1: I think it was, um, he did, he came across the notes inside of like a scrapbook or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as a kid, his mother would often put a note of, I am so proud of you written in this beautiful cursive inside of his lunchbox. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, Tyler, he finally comes across one of those, one of those uh, practice letters where she literally writes it, every other line on a single piece of paper over and over again, trying to get it right for bill. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that, no, I completely agree with you. That's such a beautiful moment.
3: Yeah. It's just like touching. She's like practicing it so much just to, I don't know, just have it be perfect for him. Um, and then he comes across, that's when he comes across like a sheet of paper from the doctors. Is that how he finds out? Mm -hmm. He like reads that, like, the doctor advises her to never have kids. It's like a psych evaluation mm-hmm. along
2: with the note. Like she's, they strongly urge she not have children.
3: Yeah. And then it segues into him talking to his coworker as that after, I think it was before when he, when his coworker says, uh, it's like genetics are like fucked up or something like that.
1: Oh mm. yeah. Where he, where he's, uh, I think he's having lunch or, um, his, his coworker pops up over the cubicle at Bill's work and, is telling them about this one story where these two identical twins were separated at birth, yet as they grew older, they both turned into serial killers. And I think that the line is, it's almost as if they had no choice mm-hmm. in becoming what they were. And then, yeah, he goes on to say that line, genetics is messed up. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he just slinks back behind his cubicle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then it, it, like, ends with, like, him shooting out his gum that he was chewing. And it, like, goes to slow slow motion. (laughs) (laughs) So, So it's like, no, that's such, that's yet another great moment. Because it's like, you have these dark glimpses into humanity but it's like offset by the clumsy nature of it all <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's
2: the it's peppered throughout where everything's connected like uh i think like tyler with the the history the genetic disposition to psychological issues as well as the uh like the serial killer but has a small connection to that of like because throughout the film we see bill narrate like oh like here's what my mom would do and then here's what my grandmother would do with the stuff with the cat heads. I believe it's the grandmother, mm-hmm. but like yeah, she she'd say this to Bill, and then it jumps to him. And then she'd often pick up Bill and think about a small frame, and like she probably she probably toss him six meters, maybe seven. <laughs> and then yeah, then then it cuts to like the voices in her head. And she keeps oh no, does she have does she have fish in her head or is it? She rubs the cat heads on. it's like a yeah, weird.
1: She rubs the cat heads across her head.
2: Yeah, but it's like something to satiate the things that she believes are in her head. It's like, yeah, I gotta, And then she's all this cat heads. Not good. It's, I need a fresh one. Mm -hmm. It's no longer working. And it's all. And then, yeah, even when Bill's reflecting on like his great grandfather and like all the crazy stuff that like he became a preacher and a charlatan a bit and all the other. Yeah. It's just like, there's a clear running theme of like psychological disorders within his Mm -hmm. generational family or his family.
1: And that that brings up a really good point, too, because um, especially how you mentioned with the grandmother, how she uses the cat's heads as like a form of like a coping mechanism. Um, In the first part, in Everything Everything Will Be Okay, it's basically uh, the plot itself is Bill's descent into madness, where he starts to lose bodily function or lose control of his bodily functions, like how Richie mentioned earlier with him suddenly urinating on himself for no reason. Or he uh, is accosted by a young uh, kid with a weird foot about wanting to buy a mag or pitching him to buy like a magazine. And he's like, wait, why did I think about this sort of thing? Like he's starting to question all these different things and suddenly faces are turning into weird monsters and amalgamations. And he's just trying to, form some sort of rationalization as to what is happening so he can live normally. And you could see him having unhealthy coping mechanisms such as overeating and also just trying to sleep but also not being able to. And um, after his initial diagnosis where the doctor is like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you, um, Bill eventually has like a neurological lapse in consciousness where his mind basically shorts out and he finds himself in an alleyway lying down. And then that's when he finally gets, um, checked in and they find out what's, what's going on with him. And, uh, the way that it's shown is really incredible because it happens all within the span of like a few minutes where this is where the live footage starts coming in. Like it starts creeping in, where everything is red and there's images of like flame and like hellfire. And Bill is like becoming angry because his reality and uh, all these false representations are colliding with one another and his mind doesn't know what to make sense of it. For instance, he's um, starting to feel tingling all over his body. Um, he's starting to smell like copper and it, it's kind of like a reflection on the failings of modern medicine, which it's, kind of sad that for as much that science has like done good for us, it's like we still are victims to our own mortality and the failings of our bodies for reasons unknown to ourselves. And one other thing that um, uh, I found very interesting was um, after he gets checked out of the hospital, he ends up going home in the care of his mother And she's like this very frail old woman who loves and adores her child. And she goes to like cut a thread on a sweater and Bill automatically assumes that she's going to try and kill him. So he slaps the scissors out of her hands and then she kind of crumples and says, how could you ever think that I'd ever want to hurt you? And then Bill suddenly thinks to himself, wow, she's really old and it's, like, these little tiny glimpses into Bill's psyche where he's only focusing on negative aspects. And I'm going to, like, touch upon this, like, later on as we, like, discuss more of the plot. But, um, yeah, I just found that to be, like, a unique motif. But um, as it transitions into... Oh, one other thing about this segment that I, I loved was when the doctors were trying to figure out what's going on with him, and Bill suddenly started getting better doctor's like yeah i'm really confused i'd never seen anything like it and the doctor explains to his mother and uncle that maybe bill's body is simply rallying before finally giving up yeah that was a good lie. <laughs> it was so dark but also so poignant at the same time
0: <laughs> and glad they didn't sugarcoat anything
2: <laughs> i like when he's cleared too Like, uh, it seems you've made him more like they don't even know how he recovered. It's okay, you made a recovery. That's impressive. Like, wow. And then, like, he's like sitting there, like, oh, I had like two days off and then I had to go back to work Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) He almost had like a he almost died or and or had like a complete
3: mental break. It's like, hey, you're still coming in this Monday, though, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: such like a commentary on it all and how human life isn't necessarily valued all that much, which is very strange considering that's the only thing that we're all given right at the very start of it all. And going back to the second segment of I'm so proud of you. um, I, one thing that uh, it provides like a lot more glimpse to, like it was touched upon earlier, was uh, Bill's family history. Um, It's mentioned that Bill had a half brother named Randall with metal arms and Legs that didn't necessarily work all that well.
0: Uh, He had hooks.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. He had hooks for arms. And um, after one day that they all go on a field trip out to the beach, Randall notices a seagull hovering in the sky. And he ends up holding out his arms as high as he could to the sun while running into the ocean yelling, "Boon!" (laughs) And I think that the kids are thinking to themselves like they were just amazed at how he could actually run that fast. And then he disappears into the ocean and is never seen again. And then this causes bill's mom to become overprotective of bill to where she is. Um, she doesn't want him to get walking pneumonia. So she has him wear this coat, this massive oversized coat to keep him warm all throughout the year. And along with um, a sebestos safety gloves, hmm. which I have a theory that that is the cause or one of the the catalysts to creating either brain cancer or the tumor that Bill eventually has later on in life. It was because of the suffocating nature of his mother's protectiveness for wanting to love and adore him and save him from the outside factors of the world. It like goes to show that being too protective can be a downside.
2: Uh, is it in the third one when Bill... I think does he have a stroke of some
1: kind? Yeah,
2: and then they, and then I
1: think I think it's like towards the second, or it's like the ending of the second one,
2: when he has the when he's recovering and he's having the uh, the issues and the the whole things about like the uh, subjectivity of memory and all that stuff. I want to... like. I don't think Randall existed. I don't think so either. Yeah, because it, I, they point, they purposely show like the doctor saying like, "Oh, you know," like, or maybe it's the narrator like Bill's memories now are like they seem disconnected from his himself, and they seem indistinguishable between reality and not. And when it says like that, it shows like Randall and like one other like little glimpse of a memory. Like, yeah, and then and then you think back to the earlier part in the film when they tell you Randall's story, and you think like, how much. How much stuff, and like with his own family lineage, like how much stuff was actually added from the perspective of like the bill and the third parts, disconnected memory, like the, uh, his ancestors all being hit by the tr- a train. Like, I think there's a string of like three of them that get hit by a train miraculously as well as showing signs of like psychological neuro atypical nature. And yeah, a train hits him, and then blank, and then, yeah, and then even, like, the wild man.
1: Oh, that was such a beautiful moment.
2: The wild man cousin, or uncle of a family, just runs up and, like...
1: He, like, uh, defecates berries or something like that?
2: <laughs> I think he assaults someone with, like, a shovel and like <laughs> defecates berries, and then runs away, and, it's like, and, and then Bill fills in. Like, it was later revealed that wild man was actually a long-lost brother of my great-grandfather, who was uh, abandoned at birth. And yeah, and like another one's like, oh, his great-great-grandfather also smothered... He was a preacher, but he had a child out of wedlock and he smothered the child after it was born in a swamp in like the southern whatever region.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Once that part revealed that Bill's memories are disconnected and all the other stuff, it made me go back to earlier points in the film and say there's, re- there's reality to him, but like how much stuff is added, like his grandmother's, like the cat head stuff. Was that literal or was that like... A thing of she also had she also had psychological stuff. And he's pro- like, oh, she did this because of this, or she did, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like all projections that Bill casts onto these uh real and made up individuals to make sense of everything.
2: And how scary it is when the line is blurred. It's just like, yeah, as much as dying is scary. Like the immediate amnesia is also as scary or the, imbi- the inability to collect and retain information, like how there's like a parallel aspect to that, to die in itself.
3: I'm going to do a quick little mic adjustment. My thing's about to go all over. <laughs> there we go. There we go.
1: There's um, a moment that was mentioned earlier by Tyler... Um, where the coworker is like having a conversation with Bill, and I want to go back to that moment because later on at lunch, Bill and this coworker are um, conversing, and the coworker brings up um, this story that he came across in a physics book or a physics books that book that he's reading, and he talks about the passing nature of time and how it's simply an illusion, because all of eternity is taking place at once. The past never vanishes away, and the future has already happened. All of history is fixed and laid out, like an infinite landscape of simultaneous events that we simply happen to travel through in one direction. To which Bill responds in a joking manner. He swears that he could have, or he swears that he was told that one before. <laughs> and then uh, his coworker just <laughs> stares at him blankly, like he doesn't get the joke.
3: <laughs>
1: like, that was a good joke. <laughs>
3: But that was one of the quotes that stuck with me, definitely. I totally
1: believe in that. Same. It it goes back to, um, like, how, uh, I mean, if anyone's ever read Slaughterhouse-Five, it's the exact same concept of traveling through time, but in a very haphazard manner, like, varying moments in in an individual's life, and like i mentioned earlier it, that provides me with like a lot of uh relief in that aspect because it shows that i mean here i'm going to ask you guys a question do you guys believe in free will and fate or anything like that or predestination or destiny
3: at times yeah, yeah. uh
0: yeah I, I i believe that yeah
3: and I, like in certain moments wait which one cuz
2: those are the, those are slightly conflicting like free will yeah. or fate
1: yeah what what what's your uh, go to one like do you think, think that uh you're on a path i think um,
0: both can exist simultaneously how so um i think because of the idea of like the many selves are like um multi dimensions having like different lives um I don't know how you guys feel about that but um or if i feel like since we're all like made of stardust and I guess it's a good idea to think at least for me to think that like we have hundreds if not maybe thousands of souls within us like fragments of souls like not just one soul but the many souls and so the idea of like several dimensions or the many versions of ourselves are out there Mm-hmm. So that we kind of like have our own free will, but like it's faded in some ways. Am I making sense?
1: <laughs> do you believe that you can alter the course of your fate? I do. Yeah. Can you can you go into depth about that? I think
3: like, um, how do I say it? I think everyone, you can have like a, fate. Like we all have like a certain fate right now, but I think there's no reason why you can't change that fate. You know, anyone can wake up one day and change everything about their life. And, you know, you can become a way better person and be nicer to people and not take things for granted, cherish more things. And I think that would change your fate rather than say you're like a I don't know, like, I believe in, like, karma and stuff, too. So if you're, like, a criminal or, like, you're, like, mean to people and, you know, you don't treat people right, then I think that affects your fate. I want to jump in on that. And I think
2: I... Yeah, I I want to believe... I believe it was, like, a degree of fate, but we have free will overarching it over, like... Some things are just... Like, if a meteor was coming down and hit us right now that's fate but like choices are still our own and i wish karma was real <laughs> i wish karma was real as I it <laughs> is real pat no it's real it is not real you don't
0: um believe in the idea that like the the energy and the you go off is what you receive back or uh
2: i believe that's like i believe in like social or even like a I, I do like to believe in the Jungian, like, hyper, the collective unconscious stuff, like, like the anxiety we all feel now in the pandemic can be in subject of, like, the collective psycholo- psychosis of it. I like that stuff. And even when you're in meeting new people, if you try to give a positive, like, impression and karma, if you try to, like, be polite and, like, all the stuff that gains good karma, I think that just, psychologically, without karma being a thing at all, that that's receptive to itself like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy but like the concept that like evil is held accountable and other stuff is uh i don't that
3: doesn't exist in the real world i believe i think to a certain to a certain extent you're right because i mean obviously you could be the most evil powerful person in the world and live the best life ever (laughs) i
2: those often correlate i bet (laughs) (laughs)
3: But I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, sometimes I feel like if you do something wrong and you know it's wrong and I feel like it can come back to bite you. Like I believe in like tip karma, which is probably obviously not real, but like I work in the service industry, so I always tip like extremely well. It thinking that, oh, this will come back and I'll get great tips too. Oh, so you're not doing it out of <laughs> it's kindness. It's only for my benefit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you're doing it on the assumption that karma will reward you for it. And therefore, it's not a positive karma <laughs> 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 Whatever you
3: exposed me bad. Just...
0: Well, i I feel like the whole idea of karma is that there's like a bigger picture behind it. It's that it's not just in like the menial things that you get back, but... Um, There's something more grand about it. That um, leads me to
1: believe, or that that reminds me of like a ripple effect in a way, because um, I remember at the start of this pandemic, I was very closed in my room and whatnot, and I had lost a lot of touch with many people. And I remember I went outside one day to go on a walk, and I was not having a very good day. And it was kind of like later on, around like 7 o'clock or so during the summer, when the light was just beginning to fade. And I remember I was walking on this trail, and I came across another person. And then my, um, my agoraphobia set in, because I hadn't seen anyone in a while, where I just had this fear of the other. And so I kept my distance between them. And all of a sudden, they just hit me with this overwhelming wave of kindness. Like they actually wanted to have a passing conversation with me and they called out from like 30 feet in front of me they're like hello I'm like oh hi and they're like how are you doing I'm like oh I'm good they're like yeah you know I really love this weather it's been hot for a really long time but I'm I don't know it's it's getting me to feel really great about things and then that just hit me in my heart and then it just completely absolved me of that agoraphobic nature that I had that day And then for the rest of that evening, I just had this profound wave of positivity that hit me and it led me to want to pass that on to other people because I believe that that's how change starts is, um, kind of like, uh, what's been said about before where you have to, if you manifest it inside of yourself or if you're shaken awake by something, it gets you to change, um, many of the small details that form the core of our being. And if you choose to change your attitude and perspective on things, it emits from you and is passed on to others. So it's like, you never know the effect that you have on other people. Like I remember, um, I just spoke with somebody who I, um, who I met and or who I was really good friends with in high school. And I had completely forgotten about a memory that they told me about where, Um, around Christmas time at that, I, I went out and like got people like a bunch of stuff because it was like the first time in my life that I actually had, like, I didn't have a lot of money, but I like mowed lawns and whatnot to get like 10 bucks here and there. And so I saved up a lot and I ended up getting her, um, a CD. And she told me that after all this time that, um, whenever she looks at that CD cover, she's reminded of like how I like walked over to her house and got her this gift. And it just... She said that it was like one of her favorite memories of high school. And I'm not doing that... I'm not saying it as like a self-congratulatory nature. I'm uh, more so talking about it. Um, because it made me realize that the smallest actions that you do in life... Can have a really profound impact on people. Because you never know what people are going through. Like, like I said, I had completely forgotten about that... But it reminded me... Well, after that, I was kind of like disheartened by it. And I... I don't know. It got me to be like, oh, what you do actually matters. And I also want to answer the question um, about um, free will and fate. And I believe that there is an endpoint that we reach. And that it is, in a sense, already defined the moment that we were born. But we have free will over the decisions that we make to get there and how we react each day. And um, it's kind of like a like a VHS tape where you play it over and over again and you rewind it and then the same events take place. And it's kind of a little bit frightening at first. Um, I know when I thought about it like that where it's like, oh no, everything is faded to the end. But it gets you to... I mean, if you change your attitude towards it, it can be exalting in a way. Um, uh, the book that I mentioned earlier, *Man's Search for Meaning*. There's a beautiful quote by Viktor Frankl who says, um, uh, li- "Act as if you are living for the or act as if what you are about to do is the second time that you were doing it, and that you had wrong, or that you had acted wrongly the first time." Hmm. And it gets you to really second guess the decisions that you're about to make, uh, however minor they are. And it's like, yes, you do have control, and make make sure that you live every moment as cognizant and present as you can possibly be. Every moment matters because it gets you to that point that you're that is meant for you.
2: Yeah, this uh, the ending of this film. Also, I think we've had this conversation off mic. But it's one of those ones of like man, I really don't want to die, <laughs> 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 but the film the film addresses that concern, and it gave me like a little enlightenment thing because at the end of the film, like uh, I think bill he parks after a long trip and he goes to he goes to the Ankle forest or just a brief clearing. He looks up at the sky, I believe, and then he remarks, "It's such a beautiful day." And then he cuts the black. And then the narrator's like, "Bill doesn't die, right?" No, he doesn't die. And then the narrator is in denial. And then the narrator goes on to describe uh, a bill that lives through eternity. And like so far, like even the entropy of the universe happens around him to where there's nothing. And uh, all these great, he, like these great, like he learns everything there's learned. He reads every book ever written. He has a rich lineage of children who go on to do great things and all that. But a part of the aspect is of if he lives for eternity doing all these amazing things, the entropy is still the end result. The entropy of the universe is still the end result and the undeniable aspect of it where it's just built in space alone. And, uh, yeah, I was... that uh, just... Yeah, I don't want to
3: die, but maybe I don't want to live forever I also. Yeah. That's, that's what I was just going to say, like... Would you rather have a limit, or would you just want to be, like, immortal?
1: Well, I'm limit all the way. I don't want to be here forever. That would suck.
3: I want to be a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> me and Tyler are going to get
2: robot bodies. That's going to be awesome.
1: My, my reason for not wanting to live forever is that eventually memory compacts within itself. Yeah. And ends up, ends up uh, reducing the significance of all the memories that came beforehand, and all the meaningful things that have happened to you. For instance, um, your first kiss, or your uh, first day that you went to the ocean, or anything like that. Um, because this movie deals with the, the conflicting nature of uh, memory and um, the infinite universe, but also in regards to the failings of our own body, and how even though our minds can conceive some of the greatest mysteries and pose the greatest questions of the universe our bodies are so ill-equipped at handling time that eventually they run themselves into the ground. So it's like, yes, uh, what if we are somehow able to cure the disease known as death to where we can live an immortal life? But will that? how will that affect meaning? Will meaning actually... Is meaning something that we created to give ourselves more comfort in response to death? Or... um is it actually something that fills our life with some sort of fulfillment regardless of death? Like it actually gets us to appreciate our time because without death and without deadlines, would we even do anything at all? Like, wouldn't we just, I'm more of the mindset that we would give in to comfort and pleasure and become almost like sloth, like in a way to where there's no incentive to do anything. And so it's like death is used as a motivator. Um, Towards the beginning of the third one and, or the third act and the second one, Bill suddenly finds himself on his deathbed. Um, I want to say that he imagines this scenario and he's contemplating how his entire life he had feared death and um, how he had always brushed shoulders with it, but it had seemed impossible to him, like it would never happen to him and that he would have an endless amount of days to live and experience all the things that he wanted to do. And then he had this creeping thought that um, you will only get older. And the next thing you know, you're looking back instead of forward. And at the climax of all those years of worry, sleepless nights and denial, you find yourself staring death in the face. And that there was some dumb irony of how he had been waiting for it his entire life. And that he had been invaded and distracted with the stress and waste of time that it ended up robbing him of his entire potential. And so he finds himself an old shriveled up being who can't even form words. And he suddenly realizes, Oh, I know how to live. Let me, let me tell these young people who surround me, who I don't even recognize yeah, the answer to life's biggest mysteries. And then all he can do is utter the words, It smells like dust and moonlight.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Of a little... Yeah, a little moment. Yeah, he's pierced the veil in his last moments. I have to share this. He trips up, or he doesn't trip up, (laughs) but like the the weight of it trips him up.
3: And he does the same. His grandkids are like, Grandpa's old as shit. (laughs) they get him confused. It,
0: It reminds me of that quote, or I guess about what... Um, the narrator said about um, it's funny how you know how you feel about someone or something but you don't know how to express it until they're gone I thought that that was very powerful oh yeah that's what the uncle says right oh yeah some, someone said yeah, yeah oh yeah. that's
2: okay. such a beautiful scene he's like a weird character Like that's one of those like weird humor moments where it's I think it's after Bill's mother passes he, is it when he says that, and he says, or is it when Bill's in the hospital for the second time, mm-hmm. where he says like, "Oh, like when people are around and alive, you don't take the time to say."
1: Yeah, he says, uh, "It's too bad people don't say how they feel until it's already too late." And then he stands there and says nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he's like looking out the window, and it's like a great little. And then in the background, like on the TV, it's like a like. Someone melt or a superhero melting a monster's head with mm-hmm. a laser beam <laughs> quietly on mute <laughs> and it's like no oh, that's such a good moment there's so
2: many this whole yeah. it's only an hour long like it's it's hard to it's hard to not just go back and like this happens this happens or this the
3: happens. uh the part where like they think bill's gonna die, and he somehow miraculously survives, <laughs> and then like he goes on the talk- the narrator talks about like it really inconvenienced his uncle and his mom because his mom had just bought a casket for him. Now she has to go return it. (laughs) It's like, 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 God damn you for fucking surviving. (laughs) Um, It's it's like, fuck, that's harsh though. I feel like there's actually like, it's sad because like, I feel like in like America at least, like we don't really take care of, I mean, people do, but a lot of people don't take care of their elderly. You just send them to a home and then, mm -hmm. you know, they just live out the rest of their days there. Or
2: even the, uh, I think one of the big, one of the big oof moments for me was, uh, when the mother passed and she had pre, she had pre-selected a plot and like, I guess they show up in the funeral home as like, uh, yeah, there was a mix up. And so we buried her, like, is it 50 yards away? Yeah. Next to like a dog. Next to a pet dog and like a pet parrot or something. And it's like the most dehumanizing, (laughs) like that that's why I feel like the film's, like, inching into, like, a vague class thing of, like, if you have the resources and the wealth and the status, that doesn't happen. But he or she is being buried amongst people's pets. Mm-hmm. It's, like, a dehumanizing post-mortem effect. And, yeah, it's just such a... Such... Yeah, that one, well, that was one of those scenes that just hurt.
1: To see. I, I think that, um, as we approach, like, the, the final minutes of this episode, um transitioning towards the, the final sequences of the movie where Bill suddenly has, I mean, it goes back to what the doctor was saying towards the beginning where it's almost as if Bill's body is rallying up before it finally expires. Um, everything suddenly shifts to color and there's live action footage more and more of it. And it's kind of like how Hertzfeld mentioned in his interview where sometimes it takes a, a violent act to shake you awake and suddenly Bill finds himself um, uh, where the air smells different as he walks around his apartment or his, his house. And he suddenly starts to appreciate how clumsy and beautiful everything is and that he had suddenly felt like he had been sleepwalking for God knows how long until something had violently shaken him. And then the carpet suddenly feels amazing and it's beautiful and he starts to notice the wood grain in his cabinets and the new paper towels, how they absorb water. It's as, And it's as if he'd never appreciated it up until these final moments. And then he does go outside and sees the stars and he's just so in awe and he can't help but say, isn't this amazing? And wanting to run down the streets and tell everyone. And then he wants to keep this moment going. So he rents a car and drives, just keeps going until he finds himself at a beach and the motif of beaches and sand, um, it's first uh, shown in one of the earlier scenes where he goes to a playground and notices that somebody had written I love you in the, in it, in the little sandbox. And it was like such a beautiful moment amid the, the morbid musings and absurdity of everything. And then the footage of um, Bill as a child at the beach where uh, somebody was saying the waves have been here long before you and anyone else and they will always be here before it. All of us go, or they will continue to be here. And my favorite moment in the entire movie is when I want to say Bill's neighbor hands him a slip of paper where it had his father's mm-hmm. name mm-hmm. and address of like where he was and how his mother had never wanted him to visit him. Yeah, but it's
2: like a guiding hand of fate towards the end of the film. That's where like fate comes in because I think his memory has lapsed greatly. Like he's having, he can't remember names or faces, but he's still. I think he just drives and he just finds himself home and he finds a house that's vaguely familiar and then he knocks on the door and then he talks to a neighbor and then they point him in the direction of a nursing home where they bring out a vaguely familiar older male and yeah even the line I I forget the exact line right now but like they sit together for a period of time and then like bill just does the thing of like he doesn't know this guy next to him but we as the audience know it's his father and then, like the narrative says, oh, Bill felt compelled to like before he left. He stood up and says, like, "You are forgiven." Mm-hmm. Or, like, I forgive you. And then the old man just starts crying. And then Bill leaves. And that's towards like the last five minutes of the film, I think.
1: The song in that sequence brought me to tears. It's um, it's called Tro- Tormoré by Robert Schumann, and it's very, it's this very simple piano song, and it just line, it just undercurrents that entire scene. And like you said, Pat, I I felt like it was almost like a little kid being told to follow the breadcrumbs, even though they have no idea where they're going. But the fact that the old man didn't even know entirely what Bill was saying, but it still brought him to tears, it's like, it reminds me of the scene where Bill's inside of his bed after having a set of memory exercises. And he said that um, the memories only felt like vague feelings at this point. And that the details were gone. It's it's kind of like um, there's this one uh set of uh this is it's this music project called the caretaker, who um, has like a massive body of work, and he recently finished up his like his magnum opus, which is like a I want to say it's like six different albums or something like that. I don't know. I have to look up it again, but it's the same exact samples played over and over again, but they slowly deteriorate deteriorate over time. And they like go on for hours in these albums. And it's to simulate the effect that dementia has on people. And towards the end of it, the music is what stands out the most because people who have memory problems, they do a lot of therapy with music because it gets them to hold on to those feelings that they had when they first heard it. And, I don't know. It's, it's just so, I think that the way that it handles music in this entire, uh, movie, it's just such a beautiful thing. And it just correlates the, the feelings that we, um, that we combine with memories as a whole. It's like the details don't matter. It's like the feelings that do. And, um, I, I love the way that it ends because bill is basically just in space and he says that bill or the narrator says that uh bill will bill keeps living until all the lights go out and it ends with um arthur rubinstein's piano concert concerto number one and it's just one of the most beautiful endings i've ever seen
2: oh yeah the ending i took it a bit as the bill as a non-entity not bill as a fictional character is immortalized in the film itself and yeah as long as the film is circulated and it touches people's lives bill lives forever Mm -hmm. that's
1: something i will read of it all i know is that if in reality bill did die in that field that's how i'd want to go out just being out in nature because it's like i don't want to be in a sterile hospital room I just want to be out looking at the looking up at the sky and feeling like the grass beneath me, looking up at the trees. And trying to even though you can't make sense of it, it's like it's the feeling that matters most. Yeah, me and Tyler. uh, We're gonna live forever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, do you guys have any other closing thoughts that you want to add?
0: Um I guess I could I end it with a quote that i wrote down from film formula on youtube they did like an analysis on this film what yeah um I gotta check that out so there, there's this quote where I, I wrote it down it says the world is so much more amazing and nuanced than we usually perceive simply because we're trapped in our own sub, or in our own consciousness and if we're lucky enough or unlucky enough to never have a stroke it might be worth imagining our rich and complex reality as analogous to a stick figure drawing compared to what's possible when we try to stop analyzing our lives and start experiencing it. I thought that was a really beautiful and well-stated quote that just, I think, summarizes the film and what it's trying to say.
1: I completely agree. Mm-hmm.
2: I want to go back a bit to my rating, even though we're at the end, and if anyone's here, they probably already watched it, I hope. I... I gave it a four. But, like, of course, if. Yeah. I feel the need. This is such a good movie. I, I don't know if the score should be higher, but I feel like I should have expressed then that if anything we said at all interests you, this is a must see. And, uh, yeah, that was just in my consciousness. Like, the second I finished my rating, I was like, oh, I'm committed. I'm locked in. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a little. Yeah, I'm changing that fate. I'm changing that moment and it's, yeah
0: no you already said it it's predetermined
2: <laughs> i just call good fate on the podcast
0: the <laughs> so pat in his many universes gave this film a four <laughs>
1: <laughs> um the movie is available to rent on vimeo i want to say for five dollars if you want to watch it or if you want to get a link from me you can feel free to reach out to me on instagram or us on instagram or e- email us and asking for it whatever
0: so yeah um so yeah uh that concludes uh, our episode of it's such a beautiful day i think that this has been a wonderful discussion and yeah stay tuned next week for when we review um my pick. Uh I'll keep that a secret for now. But thank you, Kevin, for introducing this film to me and Patrick and Tyler. And yeah, man, it's uh it was very thought provoking and oh, cathartic experience and Yeah, it's gonna get me thinking about it for a while. And I think that uh as I get older or as I as I come back to this film, I'll definitely even have more appreciation for it so yeah thanks for tuning in
1: go home tell people you love them be more honest with your feelings like richie said it takes courage to be vulnerable as much as it is to be vulnerable with courage so act accordingly and be kind to one of those he's in a nursing home
4: Is he old? Is he old? A room full of windows. A room full of windows. And he gives a name on a paper that's not in his handwriting to the front counter. And a frail old man is being wheeled to see him now. A man who's been here for over ten years, but rarely had a visitor. Neither of these two people remember why they're there. Or who exactly this other person is. But they sit and they watch a game show together. And when it's time for Bill to leave, he stands and says something beautiful to him. And neither of them understand what he means exactly, but the old man begins to cry anyway. And they will never see each other again.